So that's been an, an incredible journey to kind of have something like you said that was a joke between friends like come to life and 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 live on um you know in the world as opposed to just in our brains or you know in a Google doc. Welcome back to another episode of Lights Camera Crypto, the podcast exploring all things entertainment and web3. I'm your host Stephen Ladden and this week our guest is Sarah Cole. Sarah is the co-founder, co-creator of the NFT TV series Stoner Cats. And in this episode, she details her editing and filmmaking background and how that came together in the creation of Stoner Cats. So we talk about the inspiration for Stoner Cats, how it got off the ground, how it got over to Mila Kunis, who ended up helping shepherd it along and ended up uh, bringing on some other A-list talent a uh, really cool example of a project finding its niche, uh, a project that was originally developed for traditional film and TV, finding a home in more of the Web3 world. And uh, Sarah talks about what that means for the future of film and television and what we can expect for more projects like these. What, what does Stoner Cats say for the future of NFT type projects uh, moving forward. So really fascinating episode. Let's dive in. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. My pleasure. Excited to, to have you on. Um, so we we were linked actually by uh, a mutual acquaintance, Mac Flavel, and uh, you know, who, who has pioneered his way uh, through uh, the the blockchains and the uh, crypto spheres uh, pr- pretty well. Uh, was that an area that that you always wanted to explore and get into? Like, how did how did you? Um, you know, what were your initial aspirations that that kind of led to that journey? Well, first of all, uh, Mac is an OG and 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 a whole mood. Um, I adore Mac. Uh, he's been a guiding light in our uh, NFT journey for Stoner Cats. You know, we come, me and my co-creators come from a a film background, and obviously NFTs were not necessarily part of that. They are now, um, but there was a lot of unknowns, a lot of question marks, and obviously Mac has been doing this for a while, and he's really been innovative. So he he was a great. Um, guiding light for, for us to, to get into the NFT space. But personally, um, I have a light crypto background. Uh, I got into Bitcoin early in 2016. So I had kind of a crypto blockchain understanding. Uh, NFTs was a, a newer thing that didn't really come into play until about 2021. Um, but I've been a, a nerd since birth. So this kind of really checked all the boxes for me. <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. And and with respect to your film background, was so so was that the the early pursuit? Was that the initial uh, drive from from a career perspective of or or just interest? It, just, like like film was something. Hey, I want to. This is my my path. This is what I want to do. Or how, how did that interest uh, become cultivated and then subsequently a career? My career was not linear. Um, the trajectory started actually as a uh, computer science uh, of the aforementioned uh, nerd department. Um, and I was doing computer programming and then realized I'm really bad at coding. And so that was not the, the trajectory for me. 
So I had always been doing silly videos on the side, like with my friends, my family. I was always editing. Um, one of my favorite things I've done is I created a uh, romantic video between my college roommate and a velociraptor because that's what you do in college. Yeah. Um, so sure. just doing silly, silly things like that. And it wasn't um, until that, that said roommate said, you know, why don't you do this as a, as a career? And I was like, oh, I didn't even occur to me. It's just something I enjoy. And so that began my path of trying to get into film and editing. And unfortunately, the college I was at uh, only had film studies. So I tried for a bit to get a film production degree started at my university and it was going well, but my advisor was like, uh, it's probably not going to be done by the time you graduate. So it's not for you it's for people after you, which I was like, well, that's great. Does not help my, my career path. So I ended up transferring. Uh, and in between I did an internship at a studio in Dallas, which is a commercial house. And, uh, I was doing everything from, uh, you know, coffee runs, food runs, assistant editing, you know, this was the time of tape and DVDs. So I was doing dubs in the dub room and all kinds of tech stuff and just whatever they needed. I was like me. Um, so at the end of my internship, they actually offered me a job on the spot and said, don't go back to school. We'll hire you right now. And as tempting as it was, I knew I had to, to finish school so I went back and finished my degree in what ended up being media studies. And at the time that was Netflix was right on the scene. So uh, again, dating myself, but, um, but the streaming was the new media. And now um, I can't imagine a better degree to have knowing that media studies, the new forefront is NFTs and, and Web3 and crypto. Uh, and so I've in a way been training for this. So I say everything that I've done has sort of led me to this moment in my, in my career. Um, but once I graduated college, that same studio that I interned at, um, had opened up a studio in Los Angeles and asked me to come out there. And I was, I was stoked. So I was like, absolutely. So I went out and I worked on commercials for about a year before they started their first animated feature called Freebirds. And then I jumped over to that and was so excited because for me, animation was the perfect fusion of my tech brain and my creative brain. Um, you know, when I was coding and I was like, oh, where's the semicolon? Where, where's the mistake? I can't figure out where it is. When I make a mistake editing, it's visual and I can find the hiccup and, and fix it. So for me, animation was exclusively in the computer, the whole world, everything is built from scratch and it's very technical but also quite creative and a, and a technical way of storytelling. So it was kind of the, the perfect avenue for me. So once I got into that first film, I hopped around. Uh, I did some independent work. I was at Paramount for a bit. Uh, I went to Warner Brothers. Uh, I worked on Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse at Sony, uh, which was a wild three years. Um, and then went over to Netflix and then bounced back to do the sequel to Spider-Man, um, which I then quit to do Sonar Cats. And uh, I, I took the Spider-Verse leap of faith and, and yeah. quit my job to focus full time on it. So um, that's kind of how I got from, from inception to, to, to where I am at least now within the Stoner Cats journey.
Sure. And so it sounds like then that animation and coding collided and, and, and would you say that it was those two things that then produced the inspiration for Stoner Cats or was it the combination of all of those experiences that you mentioned from, you know, creating the video for your college roommate through, you know, working on the Spider-Verse? I would say Stoner Cats is a combination of, of everything. Ultimately, the genesis of it came from uh, one of my co-creators, Chris Cartagena, uh, and my other co-creator, Ash Brandon, we all worked on Freebirds at the same time. And as you kind of do working on a, on children's films, you kind of lose your mind a little bit. You kind of are like, it's too kid, too kid friendly. I need to have some swears. Um, so Chris started joking about this idea of what if cats got, got high on catnip and became sentient and it became a running joke. And then over the course of the next 10 years, Every time we met up, we would joke about stoner cats and we would add some new element and some new fun gag to it. And it, it just was a running joke as a way of kind of catharsis to, to let out our kind of uh, frustrations of working on wonderful content, but very um, family focused content. So that's kind of where the, the creative idea came for uh, stoner cats. And as far as the journey itself of it, it getting made, um, we didn't even consider it as as an option of something we could do kind of not dissimilar to my career of saying like, Oh, it's something I'm doing for fun. Didn't really think it had legs. Um, we, I, I was finishing up spider verse, uh, the first one, and I was walking around Culver city and I ran into Ash who was at the Sony lot and I hadn't seen him in years. And he's like, let's catch up. So we got together and we brought up stoner cats as we do. And he mentioned that he was trying to get content made. And so he said, should we, should we just do stoner cats? And I was like, it's high time. And he's like, please leave. No. Um, he's like, let's do it. So we got, uh, we got the band back together and we started vetting all the, uh, the ideas. And we realized that in our jokes over the years, we'd actually created a pretty solid story and pretty solid characters. Um, so we started trying to take it around and we couldn't get it picked up. And it wasn't until we pitched to Orchard Farm Productions, which is Mila Kunis, Lisa Sturbikoff, and Cami Curtis. And they just got it immediately. They're like, this is weird. Um, we're into it. We're not sure what it is, but we're into it. So we partnered with them and we wrote a pilot script and we actually got Jane Fonda attached. And even with, Amazing. yeah, even with Jane Fonda attached and this incredible badass group of women backing this, we still couldn't pick, couldn't get it picked up. So um, studios were either afraid of weed content. Um, no one really wants to watch an ailing old lady uh, with her Alzheimer's. That's a bummer. Um, or they already had talking cat properties. Uh, so they were just like, eh, no, they weren't willing to take a chance. And to be fair, this is kind of, you know, just before the pandemic, but it's very much a time of reboots and sequels and studios are so afraid to take risks on new content when they know they have a built-in audience and they have a surefire return on the property. So it was kind of a gamble for a lot of studios for a lot of reasons. So it wasn't until April 2021 that Mila had the idea to do this as an NFT. And we said, let's try it. You know, if, if it doesn't work, we end up with a piece of content 
and we tried a social experiment and, and we did something. And so we went ahead and Ash, Chris, and myself did the entire pilot episode by ourselves. Uh, Ash hand drew and animated every single frame of the pilot episode. And in conjunction with that, we released 10,420 NFTs that Ash had to design. And I had this beautiful mind spreadsheet that tracked all the assets and the, and the traits and uh, in conjunction with, with Max Lavelle. And we were really just mind melding back and forth of trying to make sure all of our I's were dotted and T's were crossed. Um, and sometimes it was the other way around. So the, um, it was a it was a laborious three months of making content and making NFTs, and then we released in uh, end of July 2021, and we sold out in 26 minutes, and we were shocked. Wow. 26 <laughs> minutes. Yeah. Did you guys did you guys have a, a ramp up or like a huge, you know, organic or or an organic marketing campaign that, that helped drive awareness prior to the launch and really hit that hard? Or was it just, there were people that were really enthusiastic, a combination, uh, really enthusiastic about what you were putting out and, you know, word of mouth kind of spread. I'm, I'm so curious what the, what, I, I mean, that, that critical mass point of awareness and interest kind of colliding for 26 minutes. I mean, it's not a lot of time. Yeah, yeah, it was it was a weird Zoom call to, for all of us to watch that live. Going, uh, what's happening? Um, building up to it, we didn't necessarily do a huge hype machine. You know, we're still not about that. We're not doing like you know paid promotions or paid followers or you know we're here to make a show. And if you're into the show, then then that's great. Um, that's our audience. I think the the biggest factor in the reason for the success was our celebrity cast. Uh, in addition to Mila being a producer, she is a voice, uh, as well as Ashton Kutcher, uh, Jane Fonda, Chris Rock, Seth MacFarlane, and we actually have a cameo by Vitalik Buterin himself. So there was a lot of factors in it that had the the markings of of you know true Hollywood mixed with. Um, mixed with truly web three. And I think that hit for a lot of people. Um, and I think that was the big factor. It was also really the boom, you know, NFTs, the summer of 2021 was the summer of NFTs. And I think people were really getting in and, and things have slowed down since, but in crypto years, we say, you know, we're the, the age of the dinosaurs because it's just, it's, it's, it's not that same dynamic anymore. Just to come back to, interest and motivations and everything like that. What I, what I find consistent with many folks who have, who have had success like yourself in a variety of different art forms, the one of the three lines is doing something that you just were doing for fun, enjoying it for yourself. And then that became something. And so it's really cool to hear that, you know, with you and Ash, you were, this is your thing that you would, you guys have between the two of you that, that you would noodle on when you caught up and then that became what it is. And it started at a seed of just pure fun and as an escape kind of from, as you said, the more uh, childlike uh, content that this was able to kind of offset those restrictions. That's I, I, maybe talk a little bit about how, 
coming from that place of organic inspiration of, of something that's true to yourself allowed this project to be what it is? I think that's absolutely a, a fundamental part of this is that we're doing it for the right reasons. You know, we were never doing a cash grab. We were never doing, you know, just content for content's sake. It was always something authentic and it was based in story. Everything else bloomed out of that. You know, having a pilot script and getting Jane Fonda on board really early on was the biggest compliment we could have ever received. I mean, the fact that Jane Fonda blesses your content and is like, I'm into that speaks volumes. So, and then subsequently, you know, Mila's Rolodex is deep and that's the reason that we have the cast we have. But those, those actors are very talented and very busy. They don't have to do this weird, silly cat show. <laughs> um, they could be doing anything else. And I think combined with the, the trust and the, um, the intelligence of Mila with the content itself, I think is what has brought so many people onto this, this project, cast and crew. Uh, our composer is Rolf Kent, who did the theme to Dexter, among other things. Um, we just have a crazy, crazy cast and crew and everyone is just wholeheartedly in. No one's phoning it in. Everyone is actively excited to work on this show, uh, because they believe in the content. And I think that's what resonates with people that, that, that comes through that we genuinely are trying to tell a story. Um, there's a massive component to it that is, um, you know, Ms. Stoner has Alzheimer's and that's modeled after my mom. And so it's a cathartic, uh, writing experience for me. Um, it's difficult at times. Um, but it's more important to me that it's an educational experience. It is a connective experience. The amount of people who have reached out and said, my dad has Alzheimer's, my grandma has Alzheimer's and we connect. And whether you are feeling through that content or you're escaping because obviously it's called sonar cats. So it's very comedic, but whether you're getting, you know, kind of laughing through your pain a little bit. And, and I think that really also resonates with people. And then as a incredible part of this is we are donating 1% of proceeds to Alzheimer's association uh, so from our drop, as well as all secondary sales, 1% goes to Alzheimer's Association. And that was voted on by our community. Uh, they all collectively decided which aging memory care charity they wanted to donate to. And they donated to, to Alzheimer's Association. So that to me is incredibly powerful uh, for the blockchain in perpetuity. As long as they are sales, Alzheimer's Association gets donations. And I think that's an incredible bonus and or a greater reason to do this than storytelling itself. Sure. And and I think what you just touched on is super layered as well in the sense that it's coming from a personal experience with you and your mom. You're creating content around that. That content has attracted the uh you know the creme de la creme of of who's available in terms of cast and crew and, and, and entertainment. And now it seems it's also changing the paradigm of what content can do in terms of helping society. So to have a, to have a concept that was born out of something that was just a, a pure 
joy-driving vehicle to then link it to something that's personal to you to then have that not only be a cathartic experience for yourself, but also benefit others, I think is a really cool model. Yeah, I think it's it's really special. It's really unique. And quite honestly, I don't think this would have been possible in the traditional Hollywood Web2 space. Um, as most people are aware, when you're selling content or pitching content to studios, you either retain the IP and don't get paid very much. So it's, there's not a lot of incentive to do the work because uh, it has to be sustainable. Or you um, you give up the IP and you get paid a lot. So now you've lost your baby and, and your the story you truly wanted to tell and it gets gets lost. And I think we've struck a balance where we're able to tell the story we, we want to tell, how we want to tell it. Um, you know, we were we were paid a sustainable way, like on paper, like I'll just say the number as a whole, the project made $8.2 million. Um, wow. That gets distributed quite like the pie gets divvied up pretty heavily. Um, and obviously, you know, there's a lot of cast and crew and team on board that made this happen. So that gets split up. And then subsequently, that money goes directly back into the show. So animation is expensive. Um, you know, some TV shows, even on the low end, can be a hundred grand a minute. So it's it's an expensive venture and it's a really difficult venture. But we found a way to strike this balance of uh, raising enough to fund the show um, and have a sustainable living wage while getting to tell the story we want to tell retain our IP um, and have uh, our producers backing us through and through and their comments are, and their notes are purely from a storytelling standpoint. They are not trying to just make a note to make a note because they're trying to justify their existence in a, in a, as a creative executive, they're trying to improve the story and their notes are always so smart and so succinct uh, and I think the combination of all that in conjunction with our community, which we haven't really touched on yet, but the community for our our show is incredible. Um, I joke that we created Cat Anon because our community will <laughs> go through at, you know, half speed, double speed, play it twice the volume, freeze frame, um, and really study the show. And it's like a constant audience preview screening where we're getting live feedback every episode constantly and we're shaping the show to our audience live. So it's not as if we're saying, you know, as creators, we've decided this was what the content is. We're the, this, the captains of the ship. Um, but the feedback that comes in allows us to shape a, a content that directly connects with an audience. And the show has gone in a more sci-fi direction, which again, as a nerd, I'm super here for, so it, it's been it's been a really incredible journey that is just unmatched. Like it, it doesn't exist in Hollywood, and I think we're incredibly lucky to have gotten this experience and to make content in such a collaborative way. Sure, and to that end, the way in which the show has evolved. Do you see? Do you ever think back and think, well? Maybe if we had gone in a different direction, what would the show have looked like? Because clearly, with all again all of the layers that are involved here, you're not going to have, as you mentioned, the same experience in a Web two environment, and it's a very different 
it's a it, it just seems like the the right combination and the right players all coalesced to give you guys the experience that you're having now whereas that it doesn't exist in in a traditional model yeah i think there are a lot of benefits obviously to the traditional hollywood route our crew is really small it's still you know just ash chris and myself um writing editing directing ash is still you know comping in and doing lighting we have one uh, layout a uh, storyboard artist and Jupe, who's an incredible legendary Disney animator. So we have him uh, doing some some key poses, and then we have a independent animation studio called Ghost Spot with Alan and Corinne, and they are stellar. They are so talented, and we're really lucky to have them. But we're a really small crew. Uh, there's no real pipeline. There's no online server. It is very grassroots. It is Google Drive. It is box email. You know, we use Signal religiously. So it's pretty small and there's not a lot of infrastructure there for us to to scale up and work from. So it's very grassroots and indie in that way. Obviously, if we were in a studio, we would be plugged into a system. We would have a bigger team. We would have a lot more resources. Uh, but in a lot of ways, I think having to be so scrappy has been to our benefit to prove what we can do with very little. So aside from proving the content itself, proving our ability to work within the means that we have, I think bodes well were we to do some sort of hybrid model where we take this and go to a studio and say, hey, look, we got this content. We didn't do it for very much. We're real scrappy. Um I think is is a good model for creators in Web3 and NFT to let them troubleshoot and test their content and see what lands and what doesn't, and then use that to go to a a more traditional platform. Uh, I think it's a more collaborative way to create content. A lot of people would put stuff up on YouTube and then hope it gets picked up. But if you are, let's say, a writer and you don't have a directing sense or you don't have an editor or you don't have these things, there's a lot of people within the community that you can now source and connect with to help you build content that you wouldn't have otherwise been able to get access to. So you would have had to go it alone. And I think in Web3, you don't have to go it alone. I think the other piece to that, too, is not only do you not have to go it alone, but but conceivably the pool from which you're trying to recruit from are people who are passionate about your specific idea and your specific project if they are indeed part of the community. So not only is it an extra set of eyes, ears, hands specific to a particular skill set, but all of that would then be aligned with the project at hand. Absolutely. And we've done a lot of really fun things. Uh, We have community auditions to have a voice in each episode Uh, we had an animation contest to have six seconds of animation featured in the show. And it was so good. We ended up creating three different versions of episode four, just to showcase the animation because we were just blown away. Um, We have our, our DAO, our Meadowood Studios DAO, who is um, super, super hype and super supportive. They've done the end credits for episodes three, four, and currently working on five, and they will absolutely do six. And this is a group of people who 
have day jobs that aren't necessarily in an artistic field, but they're getting an opportunity to create and collaborate and make something and feel like they're contributing to, to the show. Um, and it's giving people an option that they didn't necessarily know they had. And I think the remote nature of work from home really for, for the difficulties is a silver lining that people get to have access to something they wouldn't normally get being in a remote part of the country or the world. So um, it's absolutely a really special, special space. How was it in terms of convincing or talking through with your other team members to get them to be on board with the direction of going in, say, a decentralized route for the production of the show and everything like that? Was Were you, were you guys all aligned to begin with, or was it a conversation that started as an idea, got bounced around a bit, you know, or was it from the get-go? I guess, how, how did the uh, inspiration to go in this direction come about? So once uh, once Mila had this idea to do this as an NFT, and like I said, I have some, some crypto experience, so it wasn't entirely foreign to me. So I could extrapolate enough to go, okay, I kind of understand uh, my two co-creators, Ash and Chris, will admittedly say, I had no idea, not a clue. And I was like, don't worry, we'll guide you through. Like, ironically, in, in flipping the paradigm is all the women were like, we'll lead the men into this space, um, which is I just love. Um, so it, it was a a leap of faith, like I said, not dissimilar to, um, to Spider-Verse, but um, it was, it, it, we're also very collaborative. There's not any one of us that's like, hard no on anything. We're always willing to say, let's try regardless, you know, story. Does this work? I don't know. Let's put it in and see. And then if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. Uh, so we kind of adopted that model overall where we will try whatever avenue works for the show. And if it doesn't work, then we move on, but we can at least say we tried. So I think it was a, um, it was an experiment, but I think that optimistic, and willing to try nature of everyone on the show is what's allowed this to to succeed and, and persevere. And how much of it then, of the show being an NFT, allows you guys sort of that, that innovative creative freedom that you were just alluding to, that is sort of unheard of in the traditional call it Web3 model where you have network executives who might, again, have those upper echelon filters of where their notes have to come from and stuff like that. And that kind of obviously influences the creative freedom that you as the creators have. How much of, of, of that, of the project being an NFT has really broadened your opportunity creatively? I think doing this show as an NFT has bought us an incredible amount of freedom. Um, but again, I think a lot of it has to do with surrounding yourselves with the right people, uh, the right crew, the right team. You know, Orchard Farm has been so smart, like I said before, and their notes are, are well thought out, um, but not without consequence. Uh, in, in episode two, we were trying to figure out who to cast for uh, a new character called Hash Panda. And we were going back and forth. Is it a man? Is it a woman? Is it, you know, who, who is Hash Panda? And so we were bouncing back and forth 
while simultaneously onboarding GhostBot, our new animation studio. So we call episode two Pilot 2.0 because it was kind of onboarding everyone and scaling up our team. So in the midst of all that, we're trying to figure it out mid-production. We're holding shots for animation because we don't know who Hashband is going to be. And then again, in, in Mila's brilliance, she's like, what about Gary V? And we're like, well, that's not a Hollywood choice, but I think that makes a lot of sense. So we ended up getting Gary V and it completely changed the dynamic of the character. It changed the dynamic of the scene. Um, and, and prior to that, while we were in the middle of the, the writing process and the storyboarding process and getting ready to launch into animation, Orchard Farm said, what if, well, spoiler alert, I'll just say, if anyone has not seen the episodes, pause here, go watch the episodes, and then come back. All right, now you've had enough time to hit pause, I'll spoil. So um, Orchard Farm had said, what if Dave gets kidnapped? And we were like, well, it's going to change the entire trajectory of the episode and the rest of the season. And the more we thought about it, as difficult it was going to be, we're like, that's the right story move. So we ended up shifting. So Dave gets kidnapped. We removed an entire episode, added a brand new episode to replace it. Um, and it was a lot of work, but the show is so much better for it. Um, and I think the, the flexibility within the NFT space we had a lot of people at the very beginning who don't totally understand the time it takes to animate and knowing behind the scenes that we did everything front loaded on spec and hoped that it worked out. So we made the episode ready to go and then didn't know if it was going to go well. And then once it did, we went, Oh, now we have to make five more episodes. And there wasn't a lot of communication or education for that time that it takes between episode one and two. And so we got a lot of win next episode, win next episode. And uh, it, was a, it was a tough hill to climb. And so we, we really struggled to try to, to get this in a, in a space to, to appease our audience and, and let people know, like, we're not rugging. We're totally here. We're working. Uh, it just takes time. And they really responded and said, you know what? Take as much time as you need. We we want quality content. So if it takes more time, that's fine. But imagine if you were, you know, watching something on Apple TV and then an episode came out and then they didn't ever tell you, they're like, it'll be out eventually. And you'd be like, what? And then no one tells you what happens. There's this level of communication that kind of tears down this, this gatekeeping in Hollywood where you can connect directly with the creators. You get live updates. You know, we're very transparent. People are watching the show get made. We're showing how things work. We're pulling back the curtain. We're talking about the logistics of animation and how a show gets made. And um, it's a lot of work. And I think people are now going, oh, okay, I'm there's no way you could possibly time travel and, and speed up that, that pipeline and that workflow. It just takes what it takes. So our community has been really supportive. Um, and that is, is a freedom we've been allotted in the NFT space that I don't think we ever would have gotten in Hollywood. And it also opens up, it seems another Avenue too, where on top of, as you talked about the personal catharsis with the story being something, you know, close to you and other, you know, resonating with other people now is 
from what you're describing, there's a there's almost a learning element that people can observe and, and dive into too, where where they can see the process and, and what goes into it. And perhaps if you're a community member who hasn't you, you've had an interest in this space but have never done it for yourself, then you you can kind of see the real application from idea to uh, execution, you know, that, that whole process and, and, and have a sort of firsthand look at how that all goes uh, through your community. Yeah. And we're not doing anything fancy, you know, uh, outside of Avid Media Composer, which Chris and myself edit in, um, which is a pretty standard Hollywood uh, software for editing. Although a lot of people are moving to Adobe Premiere as well. Um, Ash is, is comping in the animation from the animation studio in Apple motion, which is like a discontinued $50 product. Like it's, it's not complex. It is totally, it's not even prosumer. It's just consumer level uh, software that we use. Um, so it really, again, doesn't make it feel so elitist that like no one can do this. It's very attainable and you just have to have the tools and, and the know-how. And hopefully in going through the process of making Sonarcats, you're learning that, that element of it. I sat down with uh, one of the members of the DAO who's working on the, um, who's working on the end credits for episode five. And he was trying to do everything in Final Cut Pro. And I was like, I love you for trying you're just, you're going to hit the capacity of the software. And so we sat down and we went through and did a little tutorial on After Effects. And I don't proclaim to be an expert in After Effects, but I know enough to get by and, and how to how to help. And so we sat down and just did this one-on-one. And now he's like, I love After Effects and I can't wait to do all these things in After Effects. And, you know, it's not rocket science, but it's something that's fun and creative that that is accessible to people and, and opens doors. And that just warms my heart. Could there be in the foreseeable future, a stoner cats masterclass from which the creators can impart their, uh, layered wisdom? I don't know if I want to say we impart wisdom. Um, we either impart how not to do something like trial by fire of like, we did this, this doesn't work. Don't do that. Um, you know, learn from our mistakes um, or our experience. And I guess that is collective wisdom. Um, and we try to impart as much as we can. We do community calls every two weeks and chat with our community about various aspects. And, and we had our composer come on, which was just as much an exciting call for me as it was the community and watch him go through his process of how he scores stuff and what he uses. And he's like, I have a tray of spoons and sometimes I use spoons. And I'm just like, of course you do. Cause you're a genius. So yeah, we had a, a basically a master class with our composer. So, uh, I mean, what opportunity do you get to, to sit down with Rolf Kent and go through his process is insane to me. Um, yeah. so I think we're kind of doing, mini master classes as we go through, but maybe when you zoom out as a whole, when you look back at this process, it, it, it's a macro view of a Sonarcast master class of how to make an animated show in NFTs. Sure. And when you and when you and when you do zoom out, is there is there a defining moment throughout this process? And you may have already touched on it, uh, 
is there a moment throughout where you kind of had the inclination that what was something that was a joke between friends actually had the potential to be more? Do you mean uh, in this process specifically or the, the genesis of Sonar Cats? Like what was the turning point that we knew this could be a, a piece of content? I think two questions. One specifically for <laughs> Stoner Cats, yes. And then following that would be that the lane you guys are currently in as a whole, that, that you know what, this is bigger than just Stoner Cats. This is actually going to transform content in a way that we haven't seen before? Good questions. Uh, <laughs> they're tough questions. I would say that the pivotal point for us in in knowing that Stoner Cats had legs, possibly four of them, was that <laughs> when we really sat down to, to vet the story, it just came out. It, it's as if the characters were already alive. They've been living in our heads for years and when we started to talk about it, they really came to life. You know, I think of them, it sounds stupid because they're cats and cartoons, but I kind of feel like they're alive. They're people in a way. Um, you know, my, my favorite trick to do when writing is if you cover the character name in the script, do you know who's saying the line? If the answer is no, then your character is probably not very developed. Um, but most of the time when we cover the, the character, it's very like, that's Fifi. Oh, that's so Dave. Like it just, they all feel like they, they live on the page. Um, so that's been an, an incredible journey to kind of have something, like you said, that was a joke between friends, like come to life and, and, and live on, um, you know, in the world, as opposed to just in our brains or, you know, in a Google doc, um, that's been really incredible. As for Stoner Cats being bigger than than a show specifically, I think knowing that it's kind of paved the way, good or bad, you know, we made a lot of mistakes and and learned from them in doing this process that other people have generated projects and shows in the NFT space. And they've said, we looked at what you did and we tried to replicate what you did and I said, hopefully not identically, or you'll have problems. But um, but I think every time that someone does a show, you know, the next person that does something after us, and then the person after that, it iterates and and it grows and it improves and it refines the process. Um, you know, I think we we kind of pave the way, so to speak, for other shows to to do this and and get into the space and take the chance. Uh, that they wouldn't have otherwise, like us, thought that this was a possibility. So I think it really opened a door for for this as a possibility for projects to get made um, or at least to get interest um, in a world that is still so difficult to make content. And if you look at all the studios right now, just completely wiping out their animation departments and pulling animated content off of platforms. It's a tough, tough time for content. So if there's a place where things can live and people can commune around that content, um, I think we, we've really created something special and hopefully fostered an environment where other people feel that's possible. And in terms of that environment, is this, is this the new lane for you? Do you have, plans to 
work within more of the traditional Web3 or Web2 model still? Or is this new space, the NFT space, and, and that combination of NFT and show, is this kind of the new or, or the ecosystem in which you plan to exist in and, and kind of continue to iterate upon? I think we are all very early in Web3. I know that keeps being said, but I think it's too early for this to be the mainstay of content. Uh, I, I think there's a lot of logistics to be worked out. Uh, for us, you know, we didn't give IP to our NFT holders, which is a point of contention for a lot of people. And the reason being that we, if we gave away IP to our, our characters, we lose that ability to take it elsewhere and pitch it to studios and do some sort of hybrid future Hollywood model. Um, so there's a lot of legalities of it that I think need to be worked out in the sweet spot of it. You know, we're token gated uh, for a lot of reasons. And that's a difficult barrier because our best uh, advertising piece is our content, but it's behind a wall and that's really difficult to, to mitigate and tell people what it's about. I mean, I think if you say stoner cats, you think Beavis and Butthead with cats. But truthfully, it has a lot more levels. You know, I don't think people realize that there's an Alzheimer's component to it, that it has this sci-fi level, you know, it's there's there's Stoner Cats has layers, you wouldn't think, but Stoner Cats has layers. And uh, that's a really difficult hurdle to to overcome in this uh, in this way in which we've done it. So there's a lot of things to shake out before I think Web3 lands. Also, just generally, Web3 is very difficult to onboard right now. It's just with wallets and seed phrase and scams and, and hacks and things like that. It's, it's a really um, volatile space if you're not really well educated. Um, my favorite thing I love to tell people is I onboarded my therapist into NFTs uh, which might be my greatest achievement. Um, and my therapist is fully a degen, and I told her that she's a degen, and then I had to explain what a degen was. Um, but she loves it. She's super into it. But half of my therapy sessions was going through setting up a wallet and and how you know OpenSea works and secondary market and don't click on stuff that's airdropped into your wallet. So there's a lot of elements that um that i had to walk her through and that you just can't scale that up in a way that's sustainable to have one person guide you through the process of getting into nfts and crypto so until that process of onboarding is um is simplified and made more secure and i don't know what that necessarily looks like but until that happens it's going to be very difficult for the general public to come over into the crypto space slash there's a level of um, preference of content. Some people still do the red box DVDs. Like they're still on physical media. They're on cable. They're not even on streaming platforms. There are people who are exclusively streaming and they're not necessarily ready to go to this new avenue. So there's a lot of barriers to entry uh, for a lot of reasons that I think need to be smoothed out. So I think probably within the next five years, ask me this question again, and I'll say probably. But for now, I think it's going to continue to be a hybrid model. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I'm sure folks are wondering too, just to, to circle back on the uh, therapy sessions here, were, was your therapist paying you for 
uh, the tutorials and the NFT introduction, or how, how are those sessions being split? Uh, you know, or were they, or did they become, you know, her time and then you had to kind of reschedule for another another session? Yeah, it ended up being like, let's have an extra session. And that's that's not a session. It's just like, let's chat about NFTs. Um, or it was like, we started talking about NFTs and then got super into it. And they're like, oh, wait, right, about your life. Um, <laughs> so we would just, you know, it became like an hour and a half, two hour therapy session because the first part of it was DJ and talk. So in many ways, um, just as content in this case that we've been talking about, Stoner Cats, living in that hybrid world of Web 2, Web 3, so has uh, therapy evolved into a sort of hybrid role now uh, in this case as well. I think my therapist should open one of the first, if not the first, uh, metaverse therapist space. You, you take your avatar, you lay down on your metaverse couch, and you talk through your problems. And there's actually kind of a cool component. We're completely digressing from the topic, but there's a really cool component where most people are not doxxed in the Web3 space. So you might feel more comfortable to share your your life and your struggles and your issues, knowing that you're not fully doxxed in front of a human having to talk through real life. Um, might be really cathartic for people. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think on on topic, though, is this to, to circle back to what you were saying about the onboarding process and integrating more people into the web three space, uh, you know, it almost would seem that in any level, whether it's in this case, therapy or, or what we were talking about previously entertainment, perhaps there's a new subset or a new job of folks who just do that, help, help with that onboarding process in a variety of different niches and maybe that's what will help, as you were saying, in five years, kind of bring more awareness and bring that uh, critical mass up of, of, hey, here's the space. Here's where all of this innovation is happening from storytelling to uh, cathartic release. You know, this is this is what's available. I think you're totally right. I think there will there will have to be people who are I don't want to say consultants because that feels extra. But it kind of, in a way, that they're they're guiding people into the process. The difficult part will be vetting those people. There's a lot of people that my therapist was like, because uh, she's a little bit older than me, but she was talking about like, oh, there's this guy who's a guru and he's telling me which cryptos to buy, and I was like, don't do that, don't do that. Like, there's a lot of really sketchy people that are in the space. And if you don't know, you're going to get taken advantage of. So I think making sure there's a, a vetted maybe agency of people who can help guide people into, uh, into the, the web three space. Yeah. Some sort of vetted process, some sort of whatever it would be. Um, qualification sounds weird, but some, some sort of, yeah. Ch checks and balance. Yeah. Like so something to, to kind of make sure that things are copacetic. Uh, in the future, speaking of, you know, we're, we're, we're riffing here now on, on the, the, the future of what, of the crypto landscape. What can we expect from, uh, from, from you, Sarah Cole, but also from Stoner Cats? What, what, what's in the pipeline with both yourself, the show? What, what's, what's on the horizon? For the, the current future of Stoner Cats, we are uh, about to release episode five quite soon. 
And then episode six is deeply into production. And that will be the end of season one officially. Uh, So that's kind of in its entirety. All the episodes were meant and designed to be uh, played back to back. So they actually will be built together once we're finished in a short piece. It'll be about 40 minutes of content that you can watch as one cohesive short film. Um, so once that's, that's out, then that'll kind of live. And then, um, beyond that, you know, we're not, we're not going anywhere. We're not rugging. We're very much wanting to keep our community invested and involved in, in the creative process. Um, and you know, just cause the show's over doesn't mean that we go away. Um, we have every intention of pushing the future of center cats. We don't know what that looks like right now. Um, like I said, maybe a hybrid model, uh, you know, whether we do a second season or we do a film or whatever it looks like, um, you know, when we created Sonar Cats, we had three seasons worth of content in our minds. So we have a three season arc for Sonar Cats. So it's, it's just the beginning as far as the story goes. So I hope that by the end of the season, people feel really uh, rewarded by sticking with the process and the, in the show, uh, we were joking today that if you watch episode one and only watch episode six after it, you'll go, how the hell did you get from A to B? Um, but then subsequently watching the rest of the episodes, you're like, no, actually that tracks that all makes sense. Um, so hopefully people feel really satisfied, but also wanting more. And hopefully we can deliver on that in what format we don't know yet. Uh, personally, um, you know, I have some, some things in the works, you know, I'm always, when I get a chance, I mean, this has been so all consuming, but when I get a chance, I always am writing stuff down. I have my notebook by my bedside where like, as soon as I am about to fall asleep, I'm like, Oh, story idea. And then I write it down. So it never stops. Um, but I'm still very, very much into the web three space. I too am a degen like my therapist. Uh, so, so I'm, I'm not leaving web three. This still really, uh, piques my interest. And I think we're at the very, like I said, the very beginning of, of the blockchain and NFTs and what that, uh, will be and what it will evolve into. So I'm here for the ride, whatever that looks like. And I'm excited to watch it evolve. I'm excited to see other content come up. Um, you know, there's world of women is partnered with hello sunshine, uh, which is Reese Witherspoon's company. So there's a content coming up through them. Boss beauties just announced their partnership with WME. So they are drafting up animated content as well. So there's a lot of, uh, projects that may have just started out PFP, um, and have evolved into content. But I think that the more that comes up, uh, the more, the more saturated it will become and there will be a breadth of entertainment for people to enjoy. And hopefully I can be a part of any or all of those um, either as a, as a crew member or as a fan, um, ideally both. Um, So we'll see, we'll see where it takes me. um, And I'm, I'm just, I'm buckling up and I'm ready to go. It sounds on all levels, the, the future sounds really bright. And I think it's really cool too, to, have more of an understanding of your journey and to know and to see from, from what you're saying, you know, starting back in school, interest in film, creating 
trying to create your own major, going to work for the commercial production company, and then having that come really full circle to now you've created your own product project and having success with that. So it's, it's really neat to kind of zoom out for a second and, and look at the current bookends and say, Oh, wow. Well, she, she, she did it. That's a satisfying phrase to hear with imposter syndrome, always looming, having someone say she did it feels really, <laughs> feels really satisfying. Be like, you know what? I did do a thing. You're right, Steven. Um, but I, again, it's been the support of everybody around me and believing in me and, you know, championing me and challenging me simultaneously and then keeping me honest. So I think that there's always been a level of like making sure that what I'm doing is authentic. Um, and, and I think that's what's carried me through is authentically trying to create, authentically showing up. And there's no, I'm not in it for some kind of weird bonus or prize. It's just, I'm here to make a cartoon about stone cats and tell the story of a woman with Alzheimer's. And that is, that is my life's lot right now. And I'm, I'm thrilled about it. I think you you touched on something very, very important, which is that authenticity, because at times there may be from external factors or uh, internal, an internal voice saying, you have to do something this way that projects don't need to be anything other than what they are and and letting them be what they are it sounds like comes from letting ourselves be ourselves and perhaps one feeds the other but uh that authenticity piece is huge you are absolutely right you you hit the nail on the head that is exactly what it is well this has been another episode of the lights camera crypto podcast sarah cole co-founder of stoner cats Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Stephen. This was a blast. I know we kind of went off topic, but I was also really excited about it. Like we had some geek out moments. So um, mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm grateful to have a fellow geek and, and film nerd who's, uh, who's on board for whatever, whatever comes our way. Hey, that's the, the beauty of the, uh, the audio journey. You know, you, uh, you roll with what you're given and uh, iterate when when it happens. So I think it in in the scheme of things, though it's it's all it's all part of the same ecosystem. It's all relative. Amen. Thanks for listening to another episode of Lights Camera Crypto, a podcast produced by Matt Solon and Essential Media. Music by Brian Duncan and Kareem Himes.